Turn, if you will, then, to our text this morning, which comes from Philippians chapter 3. We will be looking at verses 20 and 21 this morning, but we will begin by looking at verse 17. So we will read verses 17 through 21, but we will pay particular attention to verses 20 and 21. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, last week, if you recall, we spent our time looking at what it meant to mind earthly things, or what it meant to be earthly-minded people. And some of the things that we said was that an earthly-minded person sees the things of this world as being of the greatest good, that being perhaps riches, or success, but whatever it is, it is those things that they find to have the greatest worth and the greatest value. We also said that the earthly-minded person participates in earthly things, things that are not sinful in and of themselves, in a sinful manner. And they do it at the very expense of their souls. It is man who perverts the good gifts of God. And this is because their heart and their mind can ascend no higher than what what is on this earth. For their hearts and their minds are darkened by sin. And so they live according to the flesh, setting their minds on the things of the flesh. Yet what does Paul say? He says that their end is destruction. They glory in what ought to be considered most shameful. And their God is their belly. And so Paul describes these earthly-minded people to the saints for the purpose of saying, don't follow after them. Don't imitate them. Rather, imitate those like Paul. Imitate those like Timothy and Epaphroditus, those whom we have been given the example of. Follow after those who stand firm in the truth of the Gospel who hold firm to sound doctrine and sound practice. And so then, what reason is it that Paul gives the saints for abandoning these practices of earthly-minded people in verse 20? Well, the reason Paul gives is that, brothers and sisters, you and I do not belong to this earth. But rather, if you are a saint, if you are Christ, If He is your Savior, your citizenship now is in heaven, even though your body 
is here on earth. And so the question for us today from verse 20 is really twofold. In what ways are we citizens of heaven? Or another way of saying it, how can we be citizens of heaven if we live here upon the earth? And the second question would be, then as citizens of heaven, how is it that we mind earthly, heavenly things? As citizens of heaven, how do we mind heavenly things? And subsequently then, in verse 21, we will see how Paul excites and motivates the saints as citizens of heaven, how they are now to mind earthly things. How they are to pursue and press on in holiness and perfection as citizens of heaven. And so we will look at how it is we are citizens of heaven, how then it is we mind heavenly things, and how Paul excites the saints to the performance of these spiritual exercises. And so how in fact are we citizens of heaven? Well, just think about it, brothers and sisters. It is quite analogous to our own natural birth. Just as you and I have been born into this world, and whatever country it is we were born into, we've become citizens of, whether the United States or Spain or China, well, all those who are Christ, when born anew by the Spirit, have now become citizens of the land or country that it is that we have been born into. That land in which Christ resides, which we are told is heaven. And so our citizenship now is one in which we were born into, yet our birth was the new birth. A new birth into Christ. Regeneration. Recall what Jesus has said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 3-6. through We're all quite familiar with this text. As Jesus says to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, Jesus says another birth must take place if we are to enter the kingdom of God. And so for believers... It is heaven who has bore us. And as heaven, it is the, the citizens of heaven now which we have become. And this is not the very same thing that Father Abraham understood. As we read in that great chapter of Hebrews, chapter 11, when we hear of the faith of the Old Testament saints, we are told that Abraham was living in this world while looking forward all the while to a city who has foundations, whose builder and maker was God. All the while knowing He was but a, a pilgrim and a foreigner in this land. And the same is true of you and I. We are but pilgrims in this land. We are strangers here on earth, traversing a land that is not our own. And think about it. What would it be like to, to be a foreigner? 
Perhaps some of you have traveled abroad and have experienced firsthand what it is to be a foreigner. When you travel to a foreign land, it's like traveling into a whole different world, isn't it? They speak a different language. They eat different foods. They have a totally different culture, a totally different way of life. Everything is so opposite to what you know. And after spending maybe a, a few days, perhaps a week there, you're ready to come home. You're ready to come home to what you know. Well, you see, brothers and sisters, for so long, this world is what we knew and what we desired and what we longed for when we were separated from Christ. This was home. But now, being united to Christ through faith, this is no longer the case. It is now we who are foreigners in this land. It is we who are citizens of a different land that is not here. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, after describing the Gentiles' alienation from Christ and alienation from the promises of God, he says in verse 18, For through Him, that is Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are now citizens of where? The household of God. Our names are enrolled in the heavenly register. And yet know, brothers and sisters, that they have actually always been there. From all eternity, our names have been enrolled. Yet it wasn't until we believed that it actually became ours. It was always ours in principle. But through faith in Christ, it truly became our home. And we claimed it as our very own home. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we are now seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This is why Jesus can say to the disciples in Luke chapter 10, Rejoice! For your names are written in heaven. Brothers and sisters, you and I, we all ought to rejoice that our names are now written in heaven. Heaven knows us, each and every one of us, by name, for heaven is now our abode. And it is, heaven is our dwelling because that is where Christ our head is. Heaven is our home because that is where Christ is. Jeremiah Burroughs in his treatise on earthly mindedness in answering how we are citizens of heaven, says this, that we are citizens in heaven for Christ has gone and take possession of it for us in our name. And this has occurred in the ascension of Christ. And Christ as head of the, as head of the church, hasn't He somewhere in Scripture told us that this would occur? In John chapter 14, verse 2, it was Christ who said, In my Father's house are many homes, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself where I am, that you may also be. And so just because you and I live on earth, 
It does not negate the fact that this is not our home. And we will remain strangers here on earth until the Lord comes to carry us home to the place that He prepared for us. So that head and so that body be not apart any longer. So that bride and that bridegroom be together one to another at last. And so if heaven has truly become our home through the new birth, and heaven already knows us by name, and if Christ has already gone to make a place for us there, and we await it now, you ought to think that as citizens of heaven, we would be able to have some privileges or some benefits of being citizens of heaven now, wouldn't you? Don't citizens of the United States have benefits that citizens who are not citizens of this country don't have? Don't we have citizen privileges that non-citizens don't have? Paul in Galatians 4 touches on this very thing as he describes how the sons of Abraham, one son born after the flesh that is Ishmael, whose mother was Hagar, and he has another son, Isaac, born after the promise. And in verse 25, Paul tells us this. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free. And she is our mother. We've all heard the phrase, this is my motherland. Or I'm going to my motherland. And we usually hear that when someone is going back to their native country from where they were born. Oh, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying the same thing to you and I. Heaven is our motherland. Heaven is our motherland. And what is the benefit or the privilege, Paul says, we receive as citizens of heaven? He says that we are now made free. We are free, brothers and sisters. We have free access to heaven in all of its benefits. We are now free from the bonds of sin. Sin no, lo- no more has dominion over us. Those who are not citizens of heaven cannot say the same thing, for they are enslaved to sin. We are free from the tyranny of Satan. He no longer has dominion in our hearts. We likewise are free the pits of hell. For as sinners, we were all headed, like everyone else, towards destruction and towards hell. Yet Christ has now freed us from that end. And the Father has transferred us to the kingdom of His Son. What a glorious reality! What glorious privileges it is that we have! And we can go on and on and on about all the lavish privileges we have as citizens of heaven while here on earth. Access to the Father in prayer, isn't that one? The strength of Christ, the peace, the love, assurance. How about God's very own protection here on earth? Or what about the Holy Spirit? Did He not come down from heaven? Sent by the Father and the Son to do what? To dwell amongst us and in us? to teach us the things of God, to aid us in prayer, to stir our affections towards God? Are these not ample examples enough to demonstrate to you and I 
that we are heavenly citizens? And so then I ask, what ought be yours and mine response to this? To be made citizens of heaven. How ought we respond to this? Well, you don't have to look too far back. Look at what Paul says in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in doing what? In imitating Me. This is how we are to respond. Not to walk as those whose home is this earth, but rather we are to walk as citizens of heaven. Paul is saying to the saints, do what a citizen of heaven does. For what a great price was paid for our freedom, wasn't it, brothers and sisters? A great price was paid. The shed blood of Christ. And yet, we trample that blood afoot when we walk as the world does. When we are friends with the world. When we live as the world lives. You see, our happiness as saints should not consist primarily or mostly with the things of this world with earthly enjoyments. I'm not saying it's wrong to enjoy earthly things. But it, it should not be in these earthly things that we find all of our joy and delight. And so we must ask ourselves, what is it do I find my joy in? Is it the things of this earth? Or is it in the things above? For if you are a saint, your happiness should consist in heaven in the things of God, in honoring Him, in glorifying His name, in serving Him here on earth, in worshiping Him, in meditating upon His Word, in reading His Word, in song, and in prayer. This ought to be our response. So we see that we are citizens of heaven by the new birth, by the Spirit, through faith in Christ. We see that we are citizens of heaven because Christ our head is there and He has a place awaiting you and I. And we have seen that we are citizens of heaven now receiving on earth heavenly privileges. That covers our first point. And yet this leads us then into our second. As citizens of heaven then, here on earth, how is it that you and I are to mind heavenly things? How do we mind the things above? Now I understand that this can be difficult at times. For although our abode now is in heaven, our body, we are still here on earth. And we live in a world here that opposes God. Even those amongst us, our family, our friends, our co-workers, our very own children, perhaps our spouse, Live every day in opposition to God. And so it's easy for us to be influenced by those who we spend most of our times around. To influence our speech. To influence our behavior. To influence the way that we think. Especially because you and I are still sinners ourselves. We still live in these corrupt, sinful bodies. And so... In knowing this, brothers and sisters, we ought to guard heart and mind and to not allow ourselves to return once again to minding earthly things. 
And so it's important to constantly remind ourselves who it is that we serve. For we serve a God who is infinitely worthy of all love and all glory and all honor and all praise and all service. And this should guide our daily living. Right? This means using earthly things to point ourselves back to the heavenly things. We are surrounded and reminded every day, aren't we, that we live upon this earth. But why not take what it is we see and experience on this earth and use it to draw our minds and our hearts back unto the Lord? When we see the grass of the earth sway back and forth, when we see animals play and trot upon the ground, when we experience and see the rain and lightning come down from above, when we experience the the light of the sun shine and beat upon our very own skin, when we're stuck in bed at home because we are sick with the flu, we ought to use these experiences to draw our minds back unto the Lord, to think about Him, to dwell upon creation, fall, redemption, to think about all the divine attributes of our Lord, keeping our mind on the things of the Spirit, busying ourselves and our minds with the things of above, stirring our affections more and more towards these heavenly things. It is in this way and in this manner that we guard our hearts and our minds from earthly things. I know it's not easy to do. I know it takes work and effort to do these things. To every day point our minds and point our hearts and to remind ourselves as we wake up and as we go to bed. But who said the Christian life was going to be easy? And so, brothers and sisters, and another way in which we mind heavenly things is that we live according to the laws of heaven. This world rejects the laws of God and serves the laws of men. And although God calls us to subject ourselves to earthly laws, even earthly laws are subject to the law of God. And so then the law of God is what ought to guide and direct our steps as pilgrims here in a foreign land. And so when those around you tell a lie and say it's okay, it's just a white lie, or when those around you gossip or slander your neighbor and they want you to participate in it, we, as citizens of heaven, are to refuse, knowing that to bear false witness is sin under God's law. And so even if others do and encourage us to, we will not, because we, as saints, are governed by the great lawgiver who is Christ. We are guarded by, we are guided by the laws of heaven. When others invite us out on Sunday, Hey, come with me to the Packer game. Come on, it's just one Sunday. We refuse. For we are bound by God's supreme law. And what does God say? Keep holy my Sabbath. When others speak with vulgarity and filth in their mouth, we do not participate. Because as citizens of another land, guess what? We don't speak the same language. Have you ever heard two people in front of you speaking their native tongue 
You can't understand a word it is that they are saying, can you? And so, we brothers and sisters, mind heavenly things when our conversation is not like the world, but rather is saturated in heaven. When we gather, we have to ask ourselves, do we talk and do we concern ourselves with only things of this world? Do we just talk about worthless things that have no spiritual value? Or do we speak to one another about heaven? When one of our brothers and sisters is burdened by life, do we point them back to Christ the Savior? When one of our brothers and sisters is sick or downtrodden, do we point them back to Christ the great physician? When a brother or sister who maybe is struggling financially starts to gaze upon and desire riches, do we remind them of the riches they have in Christ? Or do we try to be self-help gurus like much of this world? Everyone has the answer. No. We as citizens of heaven are to live as such, minding the things of heaven, refreshing one another in the very Word of God. And so then lastly, brothers and sisters, one final and most important way in which we mind the things of heaven is in our having real communion with God. What does John say in 1 John verses, chapter 1, verse 3? He says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, brothers and sisters, we experience heaven when we are having fellowship with God. For heaven is only heaven because God is there. Which means heaven is not heaven if God not be there. And so I ask, when is it or where is it that we experience heaven on earth to the greatest degree? It is on the Lord's Sabbath day. It is on His Sabbath day. This is why I can't understand, I can't comprehend why so much of the world has abandoned the Christian Sabbath. Do they not know that in heaven we will be experiencing the Sabbath perpetually? For eternity it will be a perpetual Sabbath? And yet now they neglect and reject keeping only one day holy in seven. And they do it for what? For earthly enjoyments? For feeding the flesh? Because no excuse people can give us for doing something else is a good excuse. Because what can they be doing that is more beneficial to the soul? What can they be doing that is more spiritually nourishing to the body than being gathered corporately with the body of saints worshiping God? It is here that God sets us apart from the world as the church and meets with us in a special way. It is here 
as we gather on the Lord's Day that we have the means of grace. It is here as we gather on the Lord's Day as a corporate body that Christ speaks to us through the preached Word. It is here as we gather for worship that we experience heaven more than we can anywhere else here on earth. And is this not what you and I should desire? Jeremiah Burroughs asks a question that strikes really the heart at what it means to be heavenly minded. He says this, What do you think would be found in your hearts if they should be ripped open right now? Think about it. As millions upon millions, droves upon droves of Christians sit in pews all across the world right now with us as we speak, if their heart were to be ripped open for all to see, what would be found inside? Would it be filthy, abominable, earthly things? Even as they gather before God in worship, is that what would be found in their hearts as their heart is ripped open? Or brothers and sisters, do you have comfort that when Christ returns and He would open your heart and lay bare for all to see, that what people would see was heaven stamped upon them? And so if heaven is stamped upon your hearts, brothers and sisters, as children in Christ, should we not desire to be in the very presence of God? Think about it. The very word for church in the Greek means called out. It means called out. For as the church we have been called out of this world to assemble before the throne of God and have fellowship with Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so where is it that the church, those called out, look most unlike the world? It is here when we gather for worship. Because it is here that we experience, that we have a foretaste of heaven. For in heaven, what will we be doing? Worshiping God. It is only going to be the saints in heaven who will be blessing and praising God's name, not the world. And so I would think that as saints, we would want to do this as often and spend as much time on the Lord's Day doing it as we possibly can. Yet isn't it sad that so many of the saints, so many of Christianity today, so much of evangelicalism don't have the same desire. J. Gresham Machen pointed out in his sermon on the separateness of the church that the real threat to the church has never been outside of the church. The real threat to the church has never been external. It's always come from within. It's always been internal. And isn't this so? For the real danger is when the church begins to capitulate to the world. When the church begins to live and act and think and function just like the world does. Becoming earthly minded. Forsaking holiness as those who are called to seek and set our minds upon heavenly things. For the church and the world are to be polar opposites. 
And so it is when we give up spending our whole day on the Lord's Day in worship of God and instead spend it in play like the rest of this world that we live no longer as citizens of heaven, that we live no longer as pilgrims here on earth, but rather we begin to look like our home is here, like the rest of the world. It is when the church gathers and worships that we can say that we are dwelling in heaven. The Puritans understood this. This is why they wrote so much on the Sabbath. But somewhere along the line, we, we have lost our zeal for the Lord's Day. Perhaps it was because we felt odd. We felt out of place with society. We didn't want to look so different to everyone else as everyone else went out and had fun and shopped and played. Christians spent the day in worship. Perhaps that made us forsake the Lord's Day. Not wanting to look foolish before the world. But guess what, brothers and sisters? The Gospel is foolishness to the world. It's foolishness to them. For they are of flesh, and so they cannot understand the things of the Spirit. But we are of the Spirit, and so we can spiritually understand these things. We are able to spiritually discern these things. And so we ought to, and we ought to have the flames of our heart then rekindled anew for fellowship with God on His Lord's Day. Let the fire of your hearts be stoked to desire to experience heaven more and more as we gather for worship. Let us have a high view of worship. Let us have a high view of the Christian Sabbath. This is how you and I mind heavenly things on earth. And yet, when we slumber and when we tarry in minding the things of heaven, and we will do so, how does Paul excite us to press on? Here is a very brief and final third point. He says in verse 21 that it is Christ the Savior who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. Paul says that as citizens of heaven, when we grow tired, we are to think about where it is our hope lies. And in looking to Christ and His return, it will be sanctifying to our very soul. This is what John says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. John says, And everyone who thus hopes in Him, that is Christ, purifies himself as He is pure. This hope that all the saints share in has sanctifying power. And what comfort that should be to you and I. And so we ought to continue to long for the return of our Savior and know that as we do this, you and I are being sanctified in Christ. And we likewise can take solace in the fact knowing that what Christ said will occur shall actually occur. Because Paul says here that it will happen through the exercise of Christ's mighty power. The same power that caused all things to spring forth into existence from naught. The same power that caused Christ to rise from the dead. The same power that will cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess 
Jesus is Lord is the same power that will cause you and I, cause our lowly bodies to be transformed into a glorious body just like Christ. And yet, this power belongs to the, the Lord and He alone. And so let us look to Christ and only Christ. Let us trust in Christ and only Christ. Let us hope in Christ and only Christ. Yet as we do so, let it arouse within us a great desire to although we live on this earth, mind heavenly things. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your electing love of the saints for the sending of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Christ, we thank You that You have suffered and died on the cross for our very sins. That You bore the wrath which was due to each and every one of us. And Father and Son, we thank You that You have sent unto us the Holy Spirit who dwells amongst us and within us. We thank You, Spirit, that You aid us in keeping our minds on heavenly things. And so, Father, we would pray this day that You would increase within us by the aid of the Spirit our desire and our focus and our attention, that You would set our mind and hearts on that which is heavenly, that we would desire to do as heavenly citizens do, that we would walk and imitate not this world, but rather we would imitate the saints. We would imitate and mimic Christ our Savior. And so, Father, it is these things that we pray this day. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.